We buy ugly houses. That's something you have likely seen on billboards in the streets of Las Vegas. They're one of many companies operating in the valley trying to snatch up homes quick and, in most cases, on the cheap. Some of these companies, though, are using troubling tactics. Way undervaluing properties is a big one, but also targeting the elderly and the vulnerable with some surprisingly aggressive measures. Today on CityCast Las Vegas, we talk with reporter Anjanette Damon. She's part of the ProPublica team that recently did a deep dive into the good, the bad, and the ugly of the ugly house business model. It's Monday, July 31st. I'm David Figler, and here's what Las Vegas is talking about. Jeanette Damon, welcome back to CityCast Las Vegas. Hi, it's great to be back. Well, always glad uh, when we see something that you've written or contributed to in ProPublica to talk about it, especially as it impacts us here in Las Vegas. And I think a lot of people have seen the signs, uh, we buy ugly houses, variations on the theme. So a story came out recently in ProPublica. Tell me, Jeanette, who is Royanne McNair, and what was her experience with We Buy Ugly Houses? Yeah, well, thankfully, Royanne came out the end better than some of the other folks that we've talked to have done business with some We Buy Ugly Houses franchises. Uh, Royanne and her husband moved to North Las Vegas, I believe, in the early 10s or teens. They bought a house. Sadly, Royanne's husband died last year. And she kind of quickly found that she didn't have like the support network here. Her family was all in the Midwest um, and she was just becoming increasingly lonely. She has this house, which she had, she and her husband had paid off and she decided, you know what, I think I want to move back to Ohio so I can be with my kids and my grandkids. Uh, And she wanted to get there before the end of July, which was the first anniversary of her husband's death. And so she, yeah, she. Um, wanted to sell pretty quickly. She had gotten a letter in the mail, as so many of us do, you know, offering cash for her house quickly. And she thought, well, I'll just call this phone number. She called the phone number and per kind of the playbook, uh, the Homevestors playbook, a salesman for a franchise called Black Rock Real Estate came out and the next day looked at her house, offered her money and had her sign a contract on the spot. Okay. And then things went weird? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, if, you pretty much know if you're dealing with one of these cash for houses companies that you're not going to be getting market value. What you might not understand are the kind of tactics and the pressure that you're going to be faced to sign the contract immediately. And that's kind of what she faced, um, you know, within an hour or so, uh, this guy had a contract to buy her home. She called her son and said, guess what? I've sold the house. I'm moving back to Ohio. And her son was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. What did you pay? What did you get for that house? And, you know, he just did a quick search on, on Zillow or Redfin and found out she could have gotten a lot more. He's like, you know, mom, you got to rethink this contract. So, you know, I think it was three days later, she called, she texted, she sent an email, said, hey, I want to get out of this contract. This isn't um, in my best interest. I don't want to sell my house to you. Please let me out of the contract. 
she, you know, the salesman came back out and said, oh, I can offer you a little bit more money. She said, no, I'm sorry. I don't want to sell to you. Well, uh, and Jeanette, before you get on with the story, and this is really interesting, how, how much more was the, I don't know what you call it, Zestimate on Zillow? Is that what they call it? Between what was offered initially from the the franchisee and uh, what what Zillow or Redfin, whatever, said it was worth. Yeah, that's an interesting. I actually don't know the answer to that, but I do have another price point for you because a couple of weeks after she called, thought she had gotten out of the contract. She stopped hearing from the sales guy. She thought she was done with them. You know, she signed up with a real estate agent. They listed the house publicly. Um, within a couple of days, they had multiple offers, and she ended up um, accepting an offer for three hundred and seventy-two thousand dollars, which was more than a hundred thousand dollars over what. The we buy ugly houses franchise had had uh, offered her for the house. Oh, that's significant. That's six figures. Yeah, it's six figures. Now you know, and they'll argue when you do use a real estate agent. You know, you have to pay a commission. A lot of times, you have to split closing fees with with the buyer, and so some you know money comes off the top. But with that offer, having her house on the public market with competing offers, she was able to come away with tens of thousands of dollars more from that transaction. So she, I mean, she was very excited. She's like, okay, I have a a fair price for my house. Um, They open escrow, which, you know, is about a month long process where the title officer, the escrow agent checks the title, make sure there's no liens or other claims to the house. That title came back clear. She was on her way to get back to Ohio by the end of the month when mysteriously, uh, as it was described to us, an anonymous envelope, FedEx envelope, came to the escrow office with a copy of the contract that she had signed with HomeFesters. Whoa. Um, Wait, anonymous? That seems odd. It, was that odd yeah. to the escrow company to get a unmarked envelope with a contract in it? Yeah, it was odd to the escrow company. It was odd to her real estate agent. It was odd to uh, another real estate lawyer that I talked to said, does this happen? Did these contracts just kind of show up anonymously? Uh, at that point, Royanne had to hire a lawyer. She thought she had gotten out of this contract. She hadn't. She had to hire a lawyer. Her family was kind of at wit's ends. Um, her family had read the larger investigation that I and my reporting partners at ProPublica had written about Homebusters, which is the national corporate company that owns the We Buy Ugly Houses brand. They're a franchise company. So just like McDonald's, they have close to 1,100 different franchises across the country, including more than a dozen in the Las Vegas area. Uh, She had read our investigation into Homebusters. So, you know, one of her family members sent me an email and said, this is what's happening to my aunt. Can you look into this? Now, What's interesting about that contract showing up at escrow, part of what we had uncovered in our initial investigation was that Homebusters franchises often will target homeowners in very vulnerable, often desperate situations. They need money fast. They're not necessarily thinking about the value of their house. They're thinking about how much money they need at this moment. Uh, They sign contracts. They're pressured to sign contracts. They sign them on the spot. And then when they went out, Homebusters franchises would pursue these really aggressive legal tactics. Sometimes they would sue for breach of contract. Oftentimes, before a homeowner would even dispute the contract, they would go and record a notice against the title or the deed of the house, which essentially traps you in the in the deal, right? And I was going to suggest that, you know, that would be a more traditional way to kind of muck up 
the the sale than an anonymous envelope going to the escrow agency. Still, I, I you know this is my my lawyer brain talking. You know those are typically called Liz pendants or something along those lines to to kind of say, oh no, I'm asserting an interest of some sort here, which definitely slows things down while it needs to get cleared up. But this does seem to be more tactical than appropriate legal process. Is that what you found out? Well, I'll tell you something interesting. When my co-reporters and I went to Homevestors with our findings from our initial investigation, we said, look, your franchises, many of them routinely record contracts against deeds to trap homeowners in their houses. Homevestors corporate said, you know what, you're right, that is um, a predatory practice and we're going to prohibit it. So after that initial investigation came out, they told their franchises, you are not allowed to kind of proactively record contracts against a homeowner's deed. And if you need to sue for specific performance and record a Liz Pendens, that should only happen in very rare instances. So this mystery contract coming in an anonymous envelope looked to, to some as a way to get around that prohibition because it halted escrow. It halted Royanne's escrow. She had to hire a lawyer to try and yeah. get that, that contract resolved. So it, it sounds like things worked out for Royanne. She got to sell her house and it even looks like the we buy ugly franchisee here ultimately did the right thing. I mean, it sounds like he paid for her attorney's fees and presented to ProPublica a pretty credible story that Royanne never actually told him clearly that she wanted to cancel the contract. So why why you include this story in the bigger ProPublica story about unethical practices? I think the fact that that contract showed up at escrow as a way to halt that sale was what made this interesting to us because it's an indication that franchises are looking for additional ways to really hold people to a contract that might not be in their best interest. In this case, it's hard to know what would have happened, how much Royanne would have had to pay the lawyer. BlackRock did an about face right about the time that the owner received an email from ProPublica asking about this transaction. They actively... Whether or not, so yeah, there was a problem. Royanne sent a, a text message, but it appears she sent it to the office number and maybe not the mobile. Oh, phone. so like so a landline, they, maybe. <laughs> Which, yeah, they probably didn't get that text yeah. message. She sent an email, but she had misspelled the gentleman's name, Oops. and so they didn't get the email. But they were fully aware that she wanted out of the contract, or they would not have gone back to her house and offered more money, right? Oh, okay. So they went back, said, hey, we'll offer you more money. She said, and she actually considered it. She said, yeah, okay, I think I'll, I'll accept that. She again changed her mind um, and said, you know, never mind, I went out of this. And she didn't hear from them again. They did not deposit their earnest money on their side of the contract, so they didn't exactly perform on their side of the contract. The owner um, did not want to comment on why that was. He didn't explain that part to me. But yeah, he was pretty adamant. The owner of BlackRock uh, was pretty adamant that they thought they had a contract when they saw on the MLS that this house was listed and then had an offer. They reached out to the escrow company. They couldn't, the escrow agent duty bound could not talk to them about the transaction because they weren't party to it. And that's why the office, he said, sent the contract. It still had that same effect that home investors corporate has said they've pro- prohibited of really trying to tie someone to to a contract who had wanted out of it. I mean, 
it, it sort of does seem, and not to take the side of, of anyone who's being predatory, but it does seem here that she didn't do any diligence about finding out what her house was worth before she entered into a contract. I mean, how can you really regulate people, and I'm going to just say it, being a little lazy about their assets and how much they're worth? Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. And I've had a lot of conversations with different people in real estate and other venues that have said, look, you know, the law is not going to protect you from making a dumb decision. But when you pair that with the kinds of tactics that are employed by um, these house flippers and these wholesalers, there are many who would argue that that the law regulations policy should take into account those tactics and provide a, more of a layer of protection. You see this a lot in consumer protection. You see it in timeshares. There's a right of rescission in a lot of places. Um, you see it in annuities when you're going to give a big chunk of money to buy an annuity. There's kind of a cooling off period. There's lemon laws. You know, we did we talked to some homeowners that this process worked out great for them. Like you know, sometimes there's a, a, a ugly probate that needs to get settled quickly. You need to get a house sold quickly. I spoke with one older gentleman that needed to immediately move across the country to take care of a dying friend. Um, And he was like, look, I know I didn't get as much money as I probably could have. I needed to get across the country. So, you know, I called these people. But there's also other flippers. Like there are other things you can do there. You can get multiple (laughs) offers we buy ugly houses. Home investors now is not their self-proclaimed the largest out there, and they spend a lot of money protecting their brand, so that you're kind of they're the first company that you think of. But there's other other flippers out there that you know you can get multiple offers sure. um, and see what might work best for you. And that does happen a lot in the Las Vegas Valley, just because of our transients that might be a little different from other places in the country. Also, older population of folk here. A lot of, lot of factors in place, I'd imagine, that would make us a very target-rich community. I'm wondering, though, you, you mentioned regulations in, in other industries. Are there any agencies that regulate any of this kind of conduct, especially the bad conduct that you're referencing? I mean, short of fraud or elder abuse in Nevada and most other jurisdictions, frankly, there is very little regulation of this activity. In most places, house flippers or wholesalers, as they're sometimes called, there's no license that's required. And Jeanette, based on your reporting, is there anything happening maybe in Las Vegas that is perhaps a little more egregious than other parts of the country? You know, Southern Nevada has long been a bastion for real estate investors to come in and and buy homes. And it's not just these kind of flippers or wholesalers. You know, you have the larger institutional investment firms that are are buying houses to rent back. You know, the the iBuyers have been pretty active in Las Vegas. And, And that's, you see that in areas, cities in the country that are experiencing one, a lot of growth, Um, Phoenix, Atlanta, um, cities in North Carolina, all are kind of hotbeds for this kind of activity because of, you know, how well the market is doing. And, you know, I I guess it's a reality of living in Las Vegas that if there's going to be a breaking real estate story, I mean, going back 15 years now, Las Vegas always seems to be at the epicenter. So practically speaking, and Jeanette, Let's say I have a elderly or a intellectually challenged neighbor who gets, you know, a phone call or a text from one of these groups or a flyer, some other communication. 
uh, promising fast cash, promising convenience. What can they all do to be more protective? Yeah, I think the first thing you can do is take advantage of, you know, the do not call lists and registries. Those work with varying degrees of effectiveness. Uh, Homevestors says it has its own internally maintained do not contact list. So, you know, you can always try and put your information on that list or your neighbor's information on that list. The, the experts that we talked to kind of separated homeowners, particularly older adult homeowners, into two separate groups. Um, some homeowners that do want to move and protecting the equity that they have in that house, oftentimes they'll have to rely on that for their end of life care, living in a nursing home or assisted living. So protecting that equity as they do sell the house. There's another group of, of homeowners who are contacted um, for whatever situation um, they are in financial distress or, you know, they're just lonely or, you know, yeah, they're starting to suffer from dementia and aren't able to make good financial decisions. And they're essentially talked into selling their home. Yeah. Um, so there's, you know, those are two different kinds of groups of homeowners to be looking out for. And again, as we spoke about earlier, just if, if there is a situation where a home sale becomes necessary, getting an idea of what that house is worth and never feeling pressured to sign a contract on the spot. Just look at, take some time, read the contract, see if there's other offers, do some research into the value of your house. Well, I guess until a time that uh, some Nevada legislature decides uh, maybe they want to take a look at this and get past that real estate lobby, those are some really, really good tips. Hey, Anjanette Damon of ProPublica, thank you for coming back to CityCast Las Vegas and talking about this important issue. Yeah, anytime. It's a lot of fun to be here. Time for a little news. File under ghost car? Now that Tupac Shakur's murder case seems active again, we'll point out that for a cool $1.75 million, celebrity cars will sell you the BMW sedan the hip-hop star died in back in 1996. There's reportedly even a hidden weapon compartment in one door, which the celebrity cars people claim hasn't been opened yet. Also, if you're looking to move neighborhoods anytime soon, Summerlin was just ranked one of the top five best-selling master plan communities in the nation. Despite this news, the suburb has actually had an 8% drop in sales compared to this time last year. That's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. If you know anyone getting solicited to sell their house fast or those just trying to sell their house in Las Vegas, send them this episode. Also, subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey Las Vegas. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the valley. Take care. Can I just call him Pac? Because that's what all his friends called him.